For those of you that have read ahead and have kind of looked at Joshua 21, um, if you go and you just read anything written about Joshua 21, what you'll see is they'll mention up verse 1, 2, and 3, and then they get to verse 3, and they'll skip all the way to verse 43, and they just kind of say, this is them just kind of receiving their stuff. But God has, has compelled me that we are going to go step by step and verse by verse and kind of work our way through this. So though I've never seen anybody else write on what we're writing on and what we're going to talk about today, um, what we're doing is we're taking these portions and we're actually using them as jumping off points to kind of get to know um, these Levites and why it is that they're receiving what they're receiving. So last week we were in our message, which is called Where Honor is Due. That was in Joshua chapter 21, verses 9 through 19. And what we saw was we were really focusing on the Levites. Again, this is the distribution of the cities that they're receiving for their service to God. And last week we looked at a specific part of the Levites. We liked it, looked at the, the sons of Kohath or the Kohathites. And then within the Kohathites, we looked more specifically at the Aaronites. I know all the ites, it is what it is. But they had the, the, these are the sons of Aaron. And what we saw was they had a unique and specific duty uh, that they were to do. And what we saw was the fact that um, the, 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 the thing we focused on was the call to holiness for these men. They were Levitical priests. Aaron was the high priest, and then the men, his sons, were to be also priests as well. But what we saw was, as we looked through their story, um, we saw that it was kind of similar to our stories. It was marked through times of obedience, woven together with periods of disobedience. Can anyone relate? Okay. So that was kind of who they were. But we saw this unmistakable pattern that kind of revealed itself, which was that God honored faithfulness, but at the same time, God punished Unfaithfulness, And that ties us into a principle, something that is in Scripture that is over and over and over again proven. It's an immutable truth, which is the principle of sowing and reaping. What we put in is what we're going to get out. It's covered for us in Galatians chapter 6, verses, I agree. Galatians verse, chapter 6, verse 7, it says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. In verse 8, here we hear it. For he says, For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life or uh, the spirit shall reap life everlasting. So we see this principle. If we're putting into the spiritual, God's going to give back in the spiritual for pouring into the carnal where God's going to bring back destructive behaviors. So what we put out and what we invest is what we're going to get back. And through the story of the Aaronites, we saw um, the witness of that truth. Um, they were receiving the ones that were faithful. They received this great honor. They received these cities. And then we focused and shifted our attention over to the ones that were actually providing that uh, the cities for them. They were to come from the inheritance of the 12 tribes. They had received what they had from God. And now the expectation was that they were going to give back out of what they had received in honor of these men and their service to God. And then we focus specifically on one individual uh, Israelite. His name was Caleb. And we know Caleb, but for those of you that may not remember Caleb's story, Caleb was one. Now, they sent 12 tribes when they first came to the promised land. And they sent 12 tribes in, and they came back. Ten of them gave what the Bible says is an evil report. They were like, eh, we can't do it. We're going to get killed. And there were two guys, Joshua and Caleb, that said, we can do this. With God behind us, there's nothing that can defeat us. We've got this. And what happened was, they were put into the wilderness because of the unbelief of the rest. And Joshua and Caleb survived out of the so, what is it, uh, 600 and, or, or 603,550 men over the age of 20 years old that went into the wilderness, 603,548 of them died in the wilderness. There were only two that survived, and it was Joshua and Caleb. And it was their faithfulness. They were described in Scripture as men that wholly followed the Lord. And specifically, that said mostly about Caleb, somebody who was completely committed to God. So when they were in that 40-year time period, 
when they'd gone in, Caleb had seen this city called Hebron. And Hebron, man, it was, it was what he wanted. It was, it was ruled by giants. And he said, man, if you'll let me have that city, when the time comes, I'm going to go conquer it for the glory of God. And then what we know is that he did do that. God gave it to him in Joshua 14. He went and he conquered it. He risked everything. And then almost immediately, those Aaronites, God said, you know what I want you to do? I want you to give them Hebron. And so they were willing to give up. He was willing to give up what was most dear to him. And what we figured out with Caleb and what we saw, which was amazing, was the fact that his willingness, his love for the Lord and his honor for God was greater than his love for the things of the world. He was willing to let go of what the world had provided so that he could honor his, his father and his honor his God. And so what we saw was this concept that we can apply to our own lives. It's like, what is our willingness to give? Because it all goes down to the heart. His heart was more for God than it was for the things of the world. And we have to ask ourselves, when we look at our lives, what's our heart given to? What is it that we desire? Jesus mentions in in Matthew 6, 21, he says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Right? So what it is that we treasure is an evidence of what it is that we love. And his willingness to give up Hebron to the Aaronites displayed for everybody that he prioritized God over everything else. And this should make us question the way that we live our lives and the giving that we display. What does our giving display? What does it it say about what we think of God? And then we thought about this, the fact that ultimately it's about God getting our heart. That's the whole purpose. Throughout Scripture, you'll see God trying to get the heart of man, trying to get the heart of man, trying to get the heart of man. And we're in this constant battle between the desires and the pulls that the world has on us, the things that want to get our attention and grab our hearts and God say, no, no, no. I want your heart. And so this morning as we transition over, we're going to be in Joshua 21. This today we're going to be in verses 20 through 26. And again, we're going to be looking at the Kohathites. And as we're looking at the Kohathites, we're going to really answer a couple of questions this morning because they are going to be described in our scripture as the Kohathites that remain. That's the way they're, they're labeled. So we're going to look at who the Kohathites are, and we're also going to look at why it is or what it is that they did to receive the cities that they will receive. And what we'll find is the fact that even though these men had jobs that were not maybe as specialized as Aaron and his sons, but their job was still very, very important. Their job was very specifically important and directly tied to the tabernacle. Again, remember, we're going to cover a little bit more on that in the future of what the tabernacle represents. But as we look at their service, as we look at the way that they'll do their jobs, what I want it to do is to challenge us in the way that we serve the Lord. We need to look at what it is they're doing, who they are, and ultimately how it is that we're supposed to recognize our service in them. And our message this morning is entitled, A Labor of Love. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you, Father, for the gift of of your word. Thank you, Father, for these people. I just pray, God, that you'd help me to get out of the way. Lord, you know my desire is not to be heard. Boy, if I could disappear somehow, that would be awesome. But uh, I don't know that I can pull that off. So, Lord, I pray that you'd use me as an instrument today, that, Father, you would speak uh, to my heart, and, Lord, that I would share what you would lead me to share uh, through your Spirit, and, God, that nothing else. Father, may we have ears to hear that we might be altered, might be changed, might be challenged to be a little bit more Christ-like when we leave today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Joshua 21, verses 20 through 26. Again, remember, this stuff's a little bit dry, so bear with me. Um, Joshua 20, verses this, and it says, And the family of the, of the children of Kohath, the Levites, which remained of the children of Kohath, 
even they had the cities of their lot out of the tribe of Ephraim. So Ephraim is one of the ones, one of the, the tribes giving uh, the cities. For they gave them Shechem with their suburbs in Mount Ephraim to be a city of refuge for the slayer, and Gezer with her suburbs, and Kibzaim with her suburbs, and Beth Horan with her suburbs, four cities. And out of the tribe of Dan, they would provide Eltakah, uh, El El well, just, I'm not sure about that one, um, Gibbethon with her suburbs. Agilon with her suburbs, Gathramon with her suburbs, four cities, and out of the tribe of Manasseh, they would provide Tanak and her suburbs, and Gathramon with her suburbs, two cities. All the cities were ten with their suburbs for the families of the children of Kohath that remained. Again, we see them defined as the children of Kohath that remained. So the Kohathites that remained are going to receive ten cities for their service. And the question that we want to answer this morning, and I want you to bear with me because this is going to be a little bit uh, technical names. Just bear with me. Just give me grace, please. I'm going to do my best to make it somewhat interesting. But we're going to try to identify the Kohathites, really knowing who these Kohathites that remain actually are. To figure out who they are, we're going to go back to Levi, right? Remember, Levi is the, is the patriarch of all. Now, you're going to see you have a, a, a breakdown on your sheet that you can look at, which kind of shows you a little bit of a genealogy. Um, but we'll see we have Levi's son. Had a, he had a son named Kohath. And considering his descendants, that's what we're looking at. Numbers 3, verse 19 says this. The sons of Kohath by their families were Amram, Izahar, Hebron, and Uziel. Okay? So Amram is in Egypt. And he has children named Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Now we recognize those names. What we'll find is, so Aaron's children were the Aaronites that we studied last week, but they're also, they were Kohathites because they're all sons of Kohath. So what we find now today, what we're talking about is those that are defined out that are not the sons of Aaron. So Moses' children are not Aaronites. So we find here that the Kohathites, uh, Moses' children were named Gershom and Elizer. Gershom and Elizer. And again, I think you can see on the screen, I don't know if they put it up there or not, but anyway, you have it on your paper. Just look at it. Uh, and though there, there's not a whole lot known about those two sons, we don't have a tremendous amount of information about what it was that they did. First Chronicles gives us a little bit of insight into their lineage. And we see in First Chronicles 23, verses 14 through 17, now concerning Moses, the man of God, his sons were named of the tribe of Levi. The sons of Moses were Gershom and Elizer. Of the sons of Gershom, we see here, there's a, des a descendant of Gershom, Shebuel, was the chief, and the son of Eli Elizer was Rehabiah. We're going to go with that. The chief, and Elizer, uh, and, and had none other sons, but the sons of Rehabiah, Reh whatever I said before, uh, were very many. So there's, these are his offspring. Okay, And then we go a little bit further on. What we'll find about five generations down, they're going to show up in Scripture. Actually, they're going to be men that are going to watch over the um, when King David is in authority and when King David is ruling. They're going to be ones that are watching over the treasures. Then we have the, the rest of the sons of Kohath. That would be the, the Kohathites that remain. This would be the, the sons of Kohath named Izahar, Hebron, and Uziel. Numbers 3.27 says this, <clears throat> And of Kohath was the family of the Amramites, and the family of the Isharites, and the family of the Hebronites, and the family of the Uzielites. These are the families of the Kohathites. So that means that my children are called Goodsonites, just so you know. Um, so, and so we have the descendants of Kohath's sons. We see them. And of these Kohathites, what we'll find is the fact that there's really only one that stands out in their history. And it's a gentleman who's actually kind of the leader of, of the Kohathites. We see in Numbers chapter 3, verse 30, it says, And the chief of the house of the father of the families of the Kohathites shall be Elizaphon, the son of Uziel. 
But what's interesting is, and I, and I give you all of that, not that you necessarily need to know all of that, but because I took the time to study it all, I thought I'd share it with you. But it's interesting to be able to define when we see these, these coethites that remain. You kind of want to know what it is that he's talking about. It's all those other coethites that is not going to involve the children of Aaron. But what's interesting is outside of a couple of standouts, what you will find is that the Kohathites mostly are nameless laborers. They're anonymous. Nobody knows who they are. There's not recorded anything about a lot of them specifically. They're men that just simply do their jobs, committing to doing the will of God without personal recognition. Let's hear that again. These are people that are committed to doing the work of God without personal recognition. Now, is that the way that we serve God? Do we do it with a desire not to be recognized? If our hearts are right, that should be the way that we serve. As we discussed last week, remember, it's an issue of the heart, right? Giving is an issue of the heart. It always, always is. Everything is linked to our hearts. So what we're looking at today is we certainly saw how it applies to our material giving, but I want you to, to, to know that it's equally as important in our service. The heart behind our service is absolutely instrumental. And what we see is uh, these Kohathites have accepted the role they've been assigned. Now, we don't see any instances where they're complaining about what it is they're doing. Why do they have to risk their lives? Why do they have to bear this burden? There's none of that. They just simply do what is asked of them exactly when it's asked of them. Now, sadly, for many Christians in the world today, and I'm not saying that you're here today, but there may be some that that is very difficult to have a job in the church that no one ever sees, that no one ever recognizes. It's completely behind the scenes. You never get any thanks. You never get any pat on the back. You get nothing. You just simply do it, and no one knows. There are some folks that find that very, very difficult. Now, not necessarily because they want to be recognized and put on a pedestal, nothing like that. Not simply for that. Now, there may be some of that a desire to be recognized. But a lot of times it's because what people are doing is they're trying, they're serving men. They're not actually serving God. Right. And this is an issue that can, any of us can fall prey to. Can I tell you, so I worked in a church for about 16 years. And then for many of the, the years I worked in that church, I had a pastor and man, he appreciated what I did. And he was like, thanks for this, thanks for this, thanks for this. But then what happened was there was a pastor that came and guess what? He didn't care about what I did. He didn't recognize anything I did. And so from having been at a place where, you know what, I never thought back in the day when that person was going, hey, good job, good job, good job, good job, that I was starting to do it for them instead of doing it for God. I never, it was all very subtle. I never even realized it, right? But then when the other guy showed up and he was like, <clears throat> I don't even see it. I don't care what you do. I don't think you're doing anything, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Showing up early. I'm an hour, I'm here, I'm before, hour before you even get here. I've been here the whole time. And I stay here when you leave. I'm still here, right? And so what happens, I started getting bitter. I started getting frustrated. And so then, then this is, and I, some of you guys have heard this story before. There was a day when I was walking through the parking lot at about 7 o'clock in the morning, picking up trash, and there was nobody there. And in my mind, I'm sitting there going, man, I just wish he'd walk in here, just drive in here and see me picking up this trash. He'd just recognize and realize, what it, I'm out here doing this. And, man, he'd appreciate me, man, appreciate me. I mean, that's what I was like, sure, I'm just every piece of trash. I'm like, under my breath, man. And man, I can't tell you I had an audible voice, but boy, it was like a lightning bolt. God brought a verse to my heart, and his word spoke to me, Colossians 3.23, and I'll get to it in a second. And man, it floored me right in my tracks. And I came to the realization that if I am serving, if I'm doing what I'm doing for him, I should quit. But if I'm doing it for God, shut up and get to work. 
right? Colossians 3.22 says this. Servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Listen, not with eye service as men pleasers, right? But in singleness, notice this, singleness of what? Heart. Heart. It's the heart. Singleness of heart, fearing God. Do it because you're accountable to God, not because you're accountable to man. If it's about man, then quit. God's reiterating that it's all about our hearts. Listen, if the Lord has our heart, then guess what? The Lord has our service. Amen. No problem. Yeah. We'll have no problem doing the most menial of labor that no one has a clue or ever sees. Because we're not doing it for the pat on the back. We're not doing it for the attaboy. We're doing it because of the glory of God that the Lord receives glory. And guess what? If no one sees it, it doesn't matter because God sees it. Yes. If you're doing it for man, it ain't going to matter anyway. Verse 23, this is the verse that God slammed me with. And man, this was like a lightning bolt to my heart. Whatsoever you do, do heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Boom. And do you notice that word, heartily? Heartily means with your whole heart. Committed. Then Paul encourages us with this reminder of a wonderful truth in the next part. He says this in verse 24. Knowing that of the Lord, you shall receive the reward of the inheritance. And, this is, and that's encouraging, but that's not the part. Yes, God will reward faithfulness. But this part here, for you serve the Lord Christ. Yes. Remember that in everything you do, it's for Him. Amen. It's for Him. Yes. So do it out of love, right? That truth is absolutely essential and crucial to anybody serving God. If we lose sight of it, man, we will get ourselves so far off course because guess what? Our flesh will get us tied up in a knot. And what does it say? For ye serve the Lord Christ. And you see, when our heart's in alignment with that truth, when it comes to our service, we would never be disgruntled. Like I was in the parking lot. You won't be... You'd be picking up trash going saying, Praise the Lord. Oh, praise the Lord. God, my service is unto you. Every time I pick up a piece of trash, I'm doing it for your glory. Because I don't care who sees. It's truly for you. Then 1 Corinthians, Paul digs into why it is we do what we do. He's going to talk about our motivations in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Chapter 13, verses 1 through 8. He says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or tingling cymbals. You know when tingling cymbals and sounding brass? It's just noise, right? Ding, 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 ding. There's no order to it. It doesn't make any sense. You don't receive any message from it. He's saying, listen, if you have the tongue of men and of angels, meaning you are so eloquent in the way you speak, that people are just like, wow, oh man, that was amazing. But if I have not charity, tinkling brass and sounding cymbals, what he's saying is, no matter how well you may speak, if God's heart's not behind it, it's just noise. Just noise. It has no value. And so what he's sharing with us is the fact that in that word, when you see that word charity in your King James Bible, that word charity translates the love of God being manifested through a believer. Okay? This is God's love. This is not what we consider, like I've said before, it's not things you don't want that you go to goodwill and give away. That ain't charity. Hate to break it to you. Charity is the love of God being displayed through our lives. Amen. And so we notice this. He continues as he talks to, talk to us now about the, our hearts being right. Verse 2. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains... 
Man, I mean, I'm, dude, I'm the most faithful dude in the world. And have not charity, I am nothing. Listen to this. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, I literally give up every earthly thing I've got. And though I give my body to be burned, I'm willing to be martyred. And have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. The heart is the key. It's absolutely essential. God looks at our motivations. What do we learn? Samuel hears from God. Man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. We can do all kinds of stuff to impress the world. And God can look right through it and say, you know what? That's all just garbage. All of your righteousness appears filthy rags before the Lord. Notice this. Jesus addresses the same thing of the motivations in Matthew 6, verses 1 through 6. Jesus speaking says this, Take heed that you do not your alms before men give offerings to be seen of them. And we talked about the ka-chunk, 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 dropping those big bags of coins. To be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet. I'm getting ready to get my money. As the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. They get nothing with me. He says, when thou doest thine thine alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. This is in secret. That thine alms be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, Thou shalt be not as the hypocrites. Notice the wording here. Hypocrites in there. Be not as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets. Boy, you need to hear me pray. I'm getting ready to blow you away. Here we go. (laughs) That they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. If you want the accolades of men, that's all you're going to get. But thou, when thou prayest, enter thy closet. When thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. That does not mean, when we're reading this, this doesn't mean that if I asked you to pray in public that I'm like, oh boy, here we go. No, it's fine for us to pray in public, but it's the heart behind it, right? If you're going, man, I'm going to impress this group, then guess what? You may as well keep your mouth shut. And when Paul continues in verse 13, only now he's going to describe to us what that charity is supposed to look like, right? Listen to this, verse 4. He says, charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself up. It doesn't build itself up. It's not puffed up. It's not prideful. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Doesn't think, do things ungodly. Seeketh not her own. It's not selfish. Is not easily provoked. You can't get it to, to frustrate or to strike out. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Listen to this. Beareth all things. Believeth all things. Hopeth all things. Endureth all things. That right there is the long-suffering of God. And listen to what it finished up. Verse 8 says this, Charity never faileth. Amen. There's a verse in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, and it says, Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season ye shall reap if you faint not. Do what's right. Doesn't matter what's going on around. Doesn't matter how people respond. You do the right thing because you're not doing it for them You're doing it for him. You're not doing it from response from this individual. Again, be not weary in well-doing because God knows it wears you down to do the right thing when people around you are doing the wrong. If everyone around you is cheating and they're getting better grades than you, and you don't, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Guess what? That's hard. You might get ridiculed. Who knows what could happen? But hey, be not weary in well-doing for in due season, in God's time, 
you shall reap if you faint not. Faint means quit. Just don't quit. Do the right thing no matter what. Doesn't matter. Do we, ser- do we offer our service to the Lord from a heart of charity? Is that the way we serve, right? Listen, do people see uh, the love of Christ, the love of God, and the way that we offer grace to the people in our lives that fail us? Do they see it? The love of God, the charity of God, and the way we forgive those that, you know what, maybe don't deserve forgiveness. Do they see it in the way that we give a listening ear to someone who's hurting or share the word of God to them when they're broken? Do they see it in the humility that we display when we're at our job, working around people that might be judging us? Do they see the love of God? Do they see the love of God in the way we communicate with our family? The way we speak to our kids? The way we respond to our spouse? Do they see charity? Because that's who we're called to be. Right? It's not easy, but it's worth it. The love of God manifested through us. And the beautiful thing, it's not you. You just get out of the way. All we can do is mess it up. All we can do is get in the way. Our flesh can get a hold of things and try to twist to fulfill ourselves. But if our heart is right and it's about honoring God, then guess what? You know what? It might, and we, might forsi- we might have a little bit of suffering. Oh, but it's worth it. Because remember who we're doing it for. You see, every day God gives us opportunities to display his love to those around us. To show what his love is. And see, the greatest love that we can display is God's word. The truth of God's word. See, the way we live our lives, if it aligns with scripture, then guess what? God's love will be displayed. If, if our words and the things that we say line up with scripture, then guess what? God's love will be displayed. It's the opportunity that we have to be oracles, to be mouthpieces for the Lord. We discussed last week the, the holy tabernacle and what it kind of represented. It's, a, it's the place where the Old Testament, they would go and they would find holiness, they would find knowledge, they would find redemption, they would find healing. And so we no longer have a tabernacle. The tabernacle is now here. We're the tabernacle. But what we do have is we have the Word of God. And you know what? That's where we go for knowledge, for healing, for redemption, for restoration. It's all here. It's in God's Word. And so when we see what's happening with the Old Testament, there's pictures always connecting the Old Testament and the New. And so we see this lifting up of the tabernacle. We see them carrying the tabernacle, assembling the tabernacle, carrying forth the tabernacle. You and I have to relate it to God's Word and God's truth. And as we transition to our next point, I want us to make sure that we have that correlation together. Now, revisiting what we already learned last week about the Aaronites, we saw they had a very specific job. They were the ones that would have access, the only ones to have access into the tabernacle. They were the ones that would deal with those holy implements that were there. They would prepare them for the other Levites. And what would the other Levites do? They would stand ready that if God said, hey, guess what? It's time to move. Guess what they did? They moved, man. Without hesitation, they would do exactly what they were called to do. They had assigned jobs, and when the moment came and God said, I want you to move, they would move. And so what we're going to look at today is these Kohathites that remain. What was their job specifically? Let's look at that. So this brings us to our second point, the labor of the Kohathites. Are you guys okay with me? I know some of this is a little bit dry, but please bear with me. There's some good stuff in this, I promise. Is it hot in here? Thank God it's not just me. Okay. I literally am about to burst into flames any second. If it happens, just Eric, take over. (laughs) What's that? Do it, baby. Yes. Crank it down. 
50 degrees would be perfect. I like that a lot. <laughs> Miriam's like, all right. So here we go. Number two, the labor of the Kohathites. Now, where Aaron and his sons, the Kohathites, had their very specific roles, right? What would they do? They were supposed to go in and prepare things. The Kohathites also had a very, very specific role to play. We see it in Numbers chapter 4, verse 15 tells us. It says, when Aaron and his sons have made an end of covering the sanctuary and all the vessels of the sanctuary, as the camp is to set forward, set forward means they're getting ready to move. After that, the sons of Kohath, these are the men we're talking about today, they shall come to bear it, but they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. These things are the burdens, listen, they are the burdens of the sons of Kohath in the tabernacle of the congregation. Just like Aaron and his sons, if they were to touch any of these holy items, it would kill them on the spot. They were to carry exactly what they were assigned to carry on their shoulders using what are called staves. Staves are just poles that they would place these things on their shoulders. Now, interestingly enough, as we get to the Gershonites and we get to the Merarites, what we'll find when we go to Numbers chapter number 7 is it tells us that they were actually provided carts and oxen. So the Gershonites, their job was to gather all. Remember that the tabernacle is kind of like a mobile home for God. It's made out of fabrics and stuff like that. So it's like a big tent. And so what they would do is they would gather all the fabrics, the Gershonites, and then the Merarites would gather all the sticks and poles and beams and stuff like that. And they would load them on carts and they would pull them. But what you find is when you get to verse number nine, this is what he says about the Kohaths. It says this, but unto the sons of Kohath, he gave none. You get no carts, boys. Because the service of the sanctuary belongeth unto them was that they should bear upon their shoulders. It was to be carried. All of these specific things were only to be carried, made a personal burden for someone. who, And their walk was extremely important to the transportation of God's holiness. Do you hear that? Yes. Right? Amen. When David in 2 Samuel... 2 Samuel chapter 5, David defeats the Philistines and they get access to the ark again. And when they go get it, David knows what they should do. They know the instructions that were given, that it was only to be carried. But you know what? They were lazy. And they took a cart. And they loaded it onto a cart. And here they're bringing it back. Dun, da, dun, da, dun. And there's some fellows walking on the other side of it. And then there's all kinds of celebration. They're playing flutes and da, 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 dancing. Woo! It's coming back. Yeah! And there's a guy named Uzzah. Uzzah, Uzzah, I don't know. That's a terrible name. <laughs> terrible name. Hey, Uzzah. Hey. Uh, <laughs> but anywho, Uzzah's walking alongside the cart, and the cart gets bumped. And when it does, he's worried the ark's going to fall. And he can't let that happen, so he just reaches over and goes like this. He touches it, and he dies right there. God kills him on the spot, and all of a sudden everybody's like playing the music. He's like, okay. <laughs> okay, let's... Uh, and guess what? David delays it coming in because it freaks them out so bad. Because they forgot to honor the Lord and do what it was that he told them. So though they were honoring God, they thought they were doing it in their flesh and doing it in their own wisdom, which is not God's way. And so what we find is it's extremely important that they would do this exactly as God said. You see, these items the Kohathites were entrusted with were representatives of God's holiness. We see the lampstand. The lampstand is a picture of God's spirit. We look at the showbread table. That is a picture of of God's word. We look at the, the altar of incense. That's a picture of God, of prayers to God. And then we get to that, to that ark of God. It is literally a representation of God himself, right? 
What's interesting is in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21, it finishes, that verse finishes by saying this, and it says, and the truth is in Jesus. You know what's inside of that Ark of the Covenant? The Ten Commandments, the truth of the Word of God. It is a picture of God. They were to be reverenced, cared for, and lifted up by people who had made doing so their personal burden. Through their commitment to the task that they had been given, these men were risking their lives. Every time they did their job, they were risking their lives. Listen to the danger involved in in, uh, Numbers, sorry. Thank you. Numbers 4, verses 19 through 20. And it says, Thus do unto them, that they may live and not die when they approach unto the most holy things. Aaron and his sons shall go in and appoint them, one to his service and to his burden. So the, these Kohathites that remain, Aaron and his, and his sons would go in, and once everything was set, they go, you pick that up, you pick that up, you pick that up, you pick that up. But they shall not go in to see. They weren't even allowed to go in and look when the holy things are covered, lest they die. This is a dangerous, dangerous responsibility. And yet they receive it and they do it exactly as they're called to do. The sons of Kohath are carrying the weight of God's holiness so that his presence could be felt on the earth. They were doing it for their brethren, right? Understand this. They're doing it for others so that they were literally realized the fact that this was worth more than their lives. They're willing to risk everything to see God's presence become reality on the world. And their willingness to die for, for, for the sake of others Right? Their willingness to die for their brethren to provide this thing. This is the greatest form of love, as, as the Lord defines for us in, in John 15, 13. He says, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. No greater, greater love hath no man than this. See, these Kohites are vividly displaying this every time they answer God's call. And can I tell you that there are Christians in the world today that are risking everything? There are Christians throughout human history who, when they answered the call to do the, God, the job that God gave them to do, they were putting their lives on the line every single time they did it. Do you realize it's estimated that from the time of the formation of the church over the last couple thousand years, that over 70 million Christians have been martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ? The most persecuted religious group on the planet is Christians, and it always has been. Hunted all over this world. Churches burned, people murdered, people hung, people decapitated, destroyed. You go read the book, the, the, the Fox's Book of Martyrs, and you read what happened and took place during the whole time of the Catholic, um, what's it called? What's it called? Inquisition. Thank you. It, some of it makes you almost sick when you hear how they're treated. There's mention where they'll talk about, the historians will say, they reached a point in time where they, they, for, they could no longer come up with creative ways to torture people to death for their faith. These folks realized that whenever they took their faith, or when they lived their faith, and they took the responsibility God given them, that they were risking their lives every single time. Yeah. They did so. And there are people right now in the world today, that as we speak, that are suffering persecution for their faith that are dying all over this planet. Luke 9, 23 and 24 says this. Speak Jesus speaking, he saith unto them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, listen, 
the same shall save it. Lose this life for my sake. Now, this is speaking to us on a spiritual level. There's no doubt about it. This is about us learning how to deny our flesh. It's talking about how we learn how to walk in the Spirit, that we are literally dying to self. But for many in the world today, can I tell you, this is actually talking about losing their physical lives for their faith. 2 Timothy 3, verse 12 says this, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. This isn't a might be. This is a promise. He says, all, he says, yea, and all who will that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall. Shall is one of those words when you see in the Bible God saying, here's a promise. Yeah. Right? Whosoever shall call upon the Lord shall be saved. Shall is a promised word. He says they shall suffer persecution. So the question we have to ask ourselves, are we suffering persecution? Do we suffer persecution in any way, shape, or form? Because if, we, if we're not, then we need to qualify. It says, and all who will live godly. In Christ Jesus, will. So perhaps if we're not suffering persecution, maybe we're not living godly in Christ Jesus. I'm not saying you need to be beaten or tortured, but I'm saying you'll suffer persecution at your job by the way people treat you. You'll suffer persecution in your family. You'll have conversations that, you know what, you'll feel uh, singled out or attacked. Those are aspects of persecution. But can I tell you this? It's going to get worse. There is coming a day, man. In the not-too-distant future. Because you know what? In these instances, almost all these instances we hear about people dying for their faith, they would have been given an opportunity to recant their faith. They'd be given an opportunity to deny their faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe not in order to live, sometimes maybe, but most of them it was just simply to reduce the amount of suffering before they'd be murdered. Right? They'd say, listen, if you will recant now, we'll behead you just like that. But if you won't recant, we'll torture you for three days. And you will beg us to kill you. These were priests in the Catholic Church standing with a clipboard. Recant. Just recant. I will not. I will not. I will not. Mm. (laughs) Instead of preserving their lives, they would forsake their lives for Christ's sake. Why? Why would they do that? Because they held their Savior more dear than they did their own lives. Is that the kind of faith that we have? Generational faith that impacts and our kids would see. We're going to show you something today, a little clip of something. There's a movie we want to show you guys. Christine and I were talking about before the service. In, in, in Russia, in the Ukraine area, there was these priests or these, or these uh, pastors that had been taken prisoner. And they were beaten mercilessly and starved to death. And the dad talked about his kids and his wife. And he said, if I heard they were killed for our faith, I would praise God for their willingness to stand for our king. See, we live in a culture now where people don't stand. They won't even have a difficult conversation. They won't even try to, 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 to breach the subject because, God forbid, the person might not receive it. They want to have their, their track rejected. Oh, no, it might hurt my feelings. This is where we've found ourselves. It's so sad. 
But you know what persecution does? It strengthens faith. Persecution's been the story of the church from the very beginning. And yet all of us want to skip it. We want to, we want to have it a part of our lives. See, the disciples of Christ died martyrs' deaths because in the end they would not deny their faith in their Lord. Amen. And Peter, who had struggles with fear, Peter died a martyr's death. And yet when we ask people to identify with one of the disciples, you know what many people identify with? Peter. But not because of his martyr's death, but because of his denial of the Lord. The struggle with fear. The struggle with the flesh. But see, Peter got right. And when he got right, he didn't turn. And when it came for a time for him to die, he said, I am not worthy to be killed as my Savior was killed. You can crucify me, but do it upside down because I'm not worthy. And throughout history, there have been people that have claimed their faith in Christ as they were murdered. And you know what? There's something called the martyr's crown. God rewards faithfulness, but it's not always going to be easy. Denial of Christ is something we all struggle with. The devil wants us to deny him, but God says, boldly stand up for me. Stand for me. Because we don't want denial to be our story. Because it's going to tell you we're all writing our story in the hearts of our families Friends, neighbors, everybody's making notes. Our story's being written. Can I tell you, there are time, there's a time coming in our world in the not-too-distant future when we will be forced to choose because I can promise you that persecution is coming. Right. It's going to grow and grow and grow. Yeah. Paul's warning in 2 Timothy chapter, chapter 3, verse 12, he said, Yea, and all the will of godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But listen to the next verse. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. Times will get worse, deceiving and being deceived. Can I tell you, we have all been called to carry the gospel message of Christ to this broken world. That is the call that God's given us. That's the burden that he's given us. In order to do it, we must deny ourselves. We must be willing to take up our cross. We must be willing to follow the Lord. Our labor for God is given to us to bear. Yeah. See, listen, the Kohathites, they received one specific city that stands out. What you'll notice is with, with, uh, with the Aaronites, there's one specific city that really stands out. That was Hebron. And the one that really stands out for these guys is Shechem. And Shechem is a really interesting city, and it's got lots of things tied to it. But what's very interesting about the name Shechem is that it translates as shoulder. Where is a burden placed? On the shoulder. The Kohathites were told that they would put the weight and carry the burden of God on their shoulder. They received this incredible city. Remember God's rewards, faithfulness. These Kohathites that remain are a picture of all those that are willing to risk their lives for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the Lord. Do you remember what Jesus said? The greatest love. Greater love hath no man than this that a man laid down his life for his friends. These Kohathites that remained did this every time they took up their God-given burden and placed those staves upon their shoulders. Listen, because they did it to honor their God with their labor of love. Yeah. That was what it was. They were fueled and driven by love. It's why they were handsomely rewarded. 
And through the centuries, thousands and millions of countless Christians have laid up treasures in heaven, listen, and they've taken up their burden for the world and risked everything to share God's love, even be willing to surrender their lives in honor to their Savior as a labor of love. And when Christ bore our sins and the very instrument of his own death on his shoulders, he bore his cross on our sins as a labor of love. And say, God's called us to a mighty work, an eternal work, the most important work of all. And it's not easy. And it will just get harder. But see, the question is this. Who are we living these lives for? If it's for us, our focus will be on our comfort. How do I feel? What's easy? How can I focus on my fulfillment? But see, if it's for the Lord then we will join the ranks of folks like these Kohathites who are willing to risk everything in order, in response to the burden that God's given them. See, our burden is to share the gospel message with the world. And it is to be a labor of love. I want to show you a quick clip. This is the the intro for this one. It was like getting in a plane in the New Testament and getting off the plane in the Old Testament. It was like I had flown into hell. We saw what, what darkness was. We'd seen darkness in Somalia and all of a sudden now we saw darkness up front and personal in our family. What do you do when everything seems to be crucifixion and there's no resurrection? We really question whether or not uh, Christianity could work anywhere other than the Western world. has said, you are free, and you are to share the gospel with everyone, then do we have the courage to suffer the consequences? Ninety percent born in the church, raised in the church, saved in the church, married and buried in the church, will never share Jesus with another person. I went looking for tools from God. And what I found was the resurrected Christ himself. In the very near future, we're going to present that movie, and we're going to invite you guys to come and see it. And it's going to give us a picture of currently what's going on in the world today. There are real interviews with real people, and the power the persecution has.
to help our faith to thrive. And all who will live godly shall suffer persecution. Can I challenge us all? Let's start to live godly. And let's look for opportunities where our lives can make a difference. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you've shown us today. Thank you, Father, for the challenge from your word. God, I know today was not easy. But God, I know it's what we were supposed to hear. And so, Lord, I do pray that you'd help us. Help us, Lord, to own it. Help us to recognize the call that we have been called to, Lord, which is to be a light, which is to make a difference, which is to share the gospel, Lord God, to have those uncomfortable conversations, to be willing, Father, to reach out to the world around us that may not be receptive, but the power of love, the power of charity, of your love can change anybody. So thank you for the gift of the word. Thank you for the gift of the message today. And I pray, God, that you'd help us to apply it to our lives. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed. Look, if you're here today and you say, listen, I, I hear the message, but I don't know how it applies to me. I don't know necessarily where I stand with God. My struggle today is not with sharing the word. My struggle is hearing from God in my own life. Maybe as a believer, I'm struggling to hear God's voice because I've got things that are combating against me. My flesh is in the way. Lord, I pray for you to set him free. But maybe you're here today and you say, listen, I don't know God because I've never met him. I may know who God is, but I've never personally met Jesus Christ. He's not my savior. If I die today, I don't know where I'm going to go. I don't know if I'm going to go to heaven, but I want to. I want to know him. And can I promise you, he wants to know you. He loves you right where you are. And so with our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you want to receive Christ, that one that loves you more than you can possibly imagine, the one waiting to restore your broken heart, he's waiting to receive you. It's not a matter of a prayer or magic, anything or a ceremony. It's a matter of a broken heart calling out to a loving God. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'm going to speak out loud. But it's not the, the prayer that will do anything for you. I'm going to ask you to repeat after me in your heart and mind. But remember, God's not listening to the words. He's listening to our hearts. And if you honestly and earnestly want to receive Christ, he will save you right where you sit. If you're watching this recorded, watching us online, right now you have an opportunity to receive that greatest gift. So with our heads bowed and eyes closed, repeat after me in your heart and mind if you want to receive the gift of Christ. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I am so sorry for my sin. I now understand that there's a penalty for my sin. But I also understand that you love me in spite of it. I'm asking you right now, in the best way I know how, to come into my life, to come into my heart, and to save my soul. Lord, help me to live for you. Help me to give you this life, that it might be a representation of your love to the world. Would you guide me and use me? In Jesus' name.